What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 54 of Rizzo Cast, and I'm joined today by none other than Steve Berman. He's a staff writer for The Athletic. He covers Bay Area media. He covers professional sports, some of the sports teams here. Uh, but you know him as Bay Area sports guy. Um, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And a nice name on your podcast, too, the Rizzo Cast. I like yeah. that. I appreciate that. Yeah, Rizzo was a name, uh, a nickname in high school, so I just kind of rolled with it. It was something stupid at the beginning, like throwing strikes podcast or something like that, and it just, yeah, <laughs> I hung a fastball, so I got rid of it. No, uh, nice. but yeah, Rizzo cast. I, I like the name of it too. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on. So let's let's we're gonna talk some media stuff, some you know a few things on the two Bay Area baseball teams here. Let's start with opening day. So. The Giants back to 500 after a big series win against the Padres. Are there any takeaways from this first week? I know there's been some, you know, etchy moments with the bullpen and there's been some offense and a lot of home runs. What are kind of your takeaways from this first week of Giants baseball? I honestly think that as far as it, as far as it could have gone, this is as good as I really think fans should hope for, for the this team, I know three and three isn't like an amazing record, but three and three on the road with a road series against the Padres that you won is pretty outstanding. And really just, uh, I wasn't able to watch yesterday's game live. I watched it last night, uh, pretty late actually. And I was just struck by how fantastically played that game was. It seemed like a playoff game, especially this early in the season. I mean, it helped. They have Snell against Gosman. And the, the quality of the pitching was great. Just the quality of everything going on was great. The at-bats were great. Uh, the defense was solid. Uh, Dubon made an incredible play uh, in that game. I, I just felt like the Giants looked like they belonged against the Padres, who suddenly, especially with Tatis having that injury, you know, he's going to come back, I guess, soon and test it out. But they don't look quite as rugged, as, as, as much of a juggernaut as people have thought, maybe. And Dodgers are obviously going to be awesome in the class of the division, but starting pitching being as good as it was. Yeah. I think the offense is going to figure out a way to put together some hits. And I, it's, it just, to me, it just struck me that they look like a legit contender, maybe not a contender for the pendant or anything like that, but they look like a solid team, especially watching that game yesterday. Yeah. And pitching is going to be, you know, you're going to, you're going to win games and lose games on the mound with this team. And I think that's going to be an important aspect, but I like what you said about a team effort uh, yesterday and we're recording this on Thursday. The win was on Wednesday that we were talking about. And even Gabe Kapler, the manager tweeted something like, I like, I like this team effort. We played together today and Kapler, uh, I want to go to him for a second. He's a guy that he's in his first year now with fans watching him at Oracle park. I know, He's going to say it's just another game come the home opener. But, you know, there's got to be some butterflies for him. And, you know, I asked Kerry Crowley about this. The fan the fan base has kind of done a complete 360 on Gabe Kapler. I know there's some that are still upset at the hiring and there are some that, you know, hate his brand of baseball and the new sabermetrically, you know, sabermetrically sound ways that he manages but there's also some that have, you know, kind of changed their mind about him and how he handled the pandemic and his transparency during the the social justice, um, you know, the social justice protests last season uh, and how he handled a team that wasn't supposed to do much and ended up near 500. So, you know, what have you noticed? Because I know, I, I guess, unfortunately, kind of you're in tune with the, the fan base, um, which could get, you know, sorry about that <laughs> sometimes. But um 
what have you noticed from the fans in terms of, you know, giving Gabe Kapler more of a chance after last season? First, I would never complain about fans because <laughs> if people didn't care about this, then I wouldn't have a job or, you know, any reason to be doing any of this kind of stuff. So we wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's what makes it all go. I do think that the baseball I've already seen this first week and it's just the first week seems, and maybe it's just my own psychological thoughts going, you know, it's a placebo effect kind of deal where I, I'm just believing it's true, but it seems like the, the baseball is a little crisper, a little better with some fans in the stands. I don't think it matters that much that it's only eight or 10,000 people. It's just, it seems more normal to everyone. I mean, you know, in the major leagues, guys, the Giants are drawing like 5,000 people a game back in the 70s and 80s a lot of the time. So it's it's not that uncommon to have these kind of crowds. As far as Kapler, I, I think that a lot of the stuff is kind of is, is kind of hit or miss with like the social justice stuff. To some people, it's great. Some people, it's annoying, right? To me, I think it's good that he was that way. It's just kind of the way I lean. But, I you know, not everyone loves that kind of thing. The uh, I think that he had the controversy going on in LA with these, uh, you know, whatever happened in that hotel room with the minor league players and that girl and how he didn't quite uh, go up the chain of command the way he should have, or gone to the authorities like he probably should have, but he came out and owned that right at the beginning. And that was kind of the big controversy when he was first hired. And I think people just kind of thought he was, his style personally was a little bit off putting and he, he didn't have that great of a reputation in Philly. But the main thing I think for Giants fans that have made them turn the corner on Kapler is that the team got better last year. They were much better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season. And that's a huge deal. And that's not, I mean, as great as a manager as Bruce Brochy was, you couldn't always say that about some of those teams, especially at the end there. The the teams just seemed that they're kind of Groundhog Day, doing the same thing every single day and expecting a different result, same kind of approach to the plate, same kind of pitching and nothing was really changing. You could tell, uh, I think that Kapler's coaching staff deserves a lot of credit too. And the players were buying in, but the, especially hitting wise, the hitting approach was night and day better in 2020 than it was in 2019. And it got better as the season went on. The defense was horrendous in the first like two, three weeks of the season. And then by the end of the year, it wasn't really a problem. The bullpen was awful, especially in that A series. And it got better and better as the year went on. So I think it's, I think fans just want to see a team get better and grow. And over a 60-game period, which isn't that big, they grew quite a bit last year. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a reason to be a little bit more interested in what they might do this year. Yeah, they had, you know, one of the fifth or sixth best OPS, I think, in, in baseball last year. So yep. it's definitely a step in the right direction for them. Um, speaking of that A series, which – arguably probably cost or I think it's factual that it did cost the Giants a playoff spot in the end. Uh, but speaking of the A's, you know, they got out of the gate kind of the opposite. Owen six. They finally picked up a game yesterday afternoon uh, at the O.Co. Coliseum against the Dodgers. You know, they, they lost some pieces that that make me a little concerned. Simeon uh, and they replace him with Elvis Andrews. Uh, Liam Hendricks was lost. What kind of team is this? Is this a team that we're expecting to be a 500 team. Is this still a playoff team favored to win the American League West? Where are you standing in terms of the A's? And I know it's I, I know it's still very early in the year, but I think the common phrase that I've heard so much is you can never win a World Series in April, but you could definitely lose one. So where are you standing with the A's? 
Well, they're a very injured team right now. That's, yeah. that's a huge, huge problem. Trevor Rosenthal, it was announced today that he had surgery. That's going to be a season ender, it looks like. Uh, he has, a, I think it was thoracic outlet syndrome, kind of deal with the shoulder. Um, they had to remove one of his ribs in the surgery. So they signed him for $11 million to be a flamethrowing closer and, and hopefully at least approximate what Liam Hendricks is doing and he won't be able to throw a pitch for the A's during the regular season. That's a huge crushing blow because there's no obvious contender to be that guy in that ninth inning role. On the other hand, if you're not having the lead most of the time, then it doesn't really matter if you have a closer and the offense hasn't looked that great so far either. I mean, they just looked awful the first two series of the year. They did win on Wednesday, a nice little, uh, you know, 10th inning win against the Dodgers to sort of salvage something out of their homestand. I was there at opening day. They looked terrible. The next two days, they were just as bad. Day after that, you figure, okay, they're not going to lose four in a row against the Astros. They did and, and, and got punked while doing it, just destroyed again, give up at least eight runs in all those games. I don't know what to expect from the A's. I'm not expecting great things, to be honest. I, I think that they've patched this together to a certain extent and, um, Seems like the, the floor has kind of come out from under them. Now, Chapman was the guy who kind of carried them to a win on Wednesday, and he's a guy who's capable of carrying a team for a multiple-week stretch. And Ramon Laureano is actually, when healthy, he got hurt as well earlier, uh, missed a couple of games with the sliding in the first base with his wrist. He, he's a guy, I think, that uh, is huge for them as well, energy-wise. Matt Olson had a little dinged up deal. I, I heard he might go on the injured list, but he's playing on Thursday. At the, he's DHing, which is rare for him, but he is playing. So they're not going to put him on the IL. So I don't know. It, it, it Maybe Chapman can sort of pull them up and make them a, a decent enough team. And then, you know, Billy and David Force like to tinker at the deadline, maybe figure out some stuff. It, but I don't know. It's just they don't seem like they have a true number one starter at this point. I love Bassett, but he's not quite that. Lizardo's got all the talent in the world, but he hasn't been able to really put it together consistently yet. The bullpen now is in shambles because of the Rosenthal loss. It's just everything is who's the closer. It's a Deakman. Are they going to try Trevino, Wendelkin, uh, Sergio Romo? I mean, he's the only guy really with any extensive closing experience, but I don't know if he's got that left in the tank. So I don't know. I, I'm not liking what I'm seeing so far from the A's, of course, but it, it is early. They can go on a, a huge stretch and and make it respectable. But if I had to bet money, I would not put money on them making the playoffs this season for the first time in a, a couple of years. Yeah, I think it depends on how the Angels play, too, because they're a team that yep. a lot of people are expecting to do some big things. Um, they need pitching, though. So that's always been the... Uh, the trend with the angels what's going on. Cause I know you wrote about this recently. What's the current status of the ballpark uh, scenario in Oakland. I know this is a type of thing where for a lot of outsiders, it's I'll believe it when I see it. And I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I don't honestly, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I can't see it happening until it happens. If that makes sense. So where are we standing right now with the ballpark? I believe in the Howard terminal location. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty complicated situation. So right now there's multiple legal battles that have yet to be fought. The A's have successfully what they call fast tracked. The A's don't like that term, but streamlined, whatever. They have this, uh, this, this law that they got passed AB 734 in California. That means that if the project is approved by the city council, 
any litigation from outside interests, you know, like the port businesses like Schnitzer Steel and others in that vicinity that don't want the A's to build there, uh, any legal cases would have to be figured out within 270 days as opposed to being able to just sue and sue and sue and stretch the thing out for like, you know, years and years and the, nothing gets built. Now, the city council hasn't voted yet. The A's are saying that they believe that the city council will vote on the project by the end of the year. The environmental impact report has been released. It is well over a thousand pages, thousands of pages of appendices. It's it, it's very difficult to read as a slog. Even, even if it was short, it would be tough to read just because of the legalese and the way that they describe everything. So everyone has like this small little period of time, I think until like April 27th or something to review that and comment, put public comments uh, up uh, about what they think about the environmental impact report. Uh, I've been out to the site. Uh, I took a trip out there just to see what it looks like. It's, you know, it's nondescript uh, shipping containers and trucks and, and things. But what's the problem, it, it could be a beautiful location because you're, you know, pretty much right on the bay on the port there. And, but the problem is, is what's underneath the concrete, the asphalt that's there. There's been a lot of shipping and other industrial uses for years and years. So cleanup of that toxic soil is going to be a problem. Are they just going to like put soil on top of it to worry about sea level rise? Because that's they do plan to build up the site by about four feet to account for sea level rise over the next hundred years. Or they can actually excavate all that soil, take it out, dispose of it somewhere safely, and then put a bunch of soil on top. And there's a lot of money that goes into this kind of stuff. So I know I'm probably getting too into the weeds. I've been studying this stuff way too much. But the Giants had a very similar problem at what was uh, originally Pac Bell Park, where they had uh, a bunch of toxic soil from, you know, all this shipping and other industrial stuff that was going on uh, back in you know the last century. So they actually they they dumped a bunch of toxic soil at the Altamont landfill, and then someone some bureaucrat was like, hey, wait a minute, this is too toxic. You guys weren't supposed to do this, and so that was back in '99, and so. Th- this kind of stuff happens with all these projects, but there's a lot that's in front of the A's if they're going to get this done. The A's put an optimistic face on it, but you know, I, I don't know if I would exactly bet on it happening, but it, it, who knows? I mean, the, the, if the city of Oakland really wants it to happen, then it could, it could definitely get built. Yeah, I think everybody in the Bay Area, uh, even Giants fans would hope that the A's get a new ballpark just for the sake of baseball in Oakland. All right, moving on. I've always wanted to ask you this. How did you get the name Bay Area Sports Guy? I know, I know that's what your 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 site was named. So where did that name come from? Uh, well, it was actually, it's kind of funny that my uh, ex-girlfriend actually gave me a website for Christmas and she named it The Sports Guide. At the time, Bill Simmons was uh called the sports guy and i was like oh, thank you so much for doing this i you know I, you knew i wanted to write I, I was freelancing for newspapers at the time covering like high school sports and stuff but i wanted to write about you know what i wanted to, what i was interested in what i was watching on a you know nightly basis you know stuff like the giants the a's the warriors the 49ers that kind of thing so uh because all the urls are purchased we switched them to bay area sports guy because we had all this, the sports guy stuff and so that's how it happened. That's how it stuck. And uh, it just kind of went from there. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's, that's kind of the deal is when I saw the sports guys, like, this is a great idea, but eh, we might get a cease and desist from ESPN over this. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought for the longest time, I thought the Barry sports guy and Steve Berman were two different guys. So <laughs> that's the funny part about it. <laughs> well, it's um, true. You know, I have multiple personalities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Can we see them all? No, just kidding. No, but I, I thought that you were two different people because I, I saw... And then when you first started writing for The Athletic, I saw the byline and I saw the picture that goes with it at the bottom or wherever I saw it. And I was like, oh, it says Bay Area Sports Guy. It's the same guy. That's what he looks like. So uh, there we go. Yeah. That's that, <laughs> I had to tell you about the that. The mystery yeah. has been solved. The mystery has been solved. So anybody that was wondering the same thing that I was wondering, wondering there's the answer. So um, was it difficult, you know, making making a move to like a position where you're not your own boss. Was it difficult? I know you've had experience with editors and stuff in the past, but you know, doing a, a blog type thing for a long period of time and then moving to a place like the athletic, is there some kind of change that plays into that? Or are you just kind of still doing your own thing? It was, it was pretty natural because I, I had freelanced for other mainstreams publications, you know, during my time with various doing Barry sports guy and around 2016, I started to see the writing on the wall for just blogs in general. Uh, advertising dollars started drying up because companies realized that a lot of people had ad blocker and no one was clicking on banner ads. So all people wanted were either video ads, which no reader wants to, to play or like autoplay. No one wants that. Or advertorial, which is where you write a story like it's a legit story, but you're actually embedding a bunch of advertising stuff for your sponsor in the story so that people really get pissed off like you know okay you're just trying to sell me something i just want to read actual information so i knew in 2016 that i, start, I started scaling back and i was doing other things and then in 2017 when the athletic barrier came about tim count called me reached out and asked if i would be a freelance media columnist so i wrote a media column once a week uh from August of 2017 until I got hired in July of 2019. And then by then I was looking for a content job of some sort full-time. Anyway, I wanted to work for the athletic. I wasn't sure if it was going to be able to happen, but then when it opened up, then I jumped at that. So it wasn't a situation where I, I knew I was getting into, cause I'd been working for the athletic to, in a sense for a couple of years. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and like you said, I've had editors before. I mean, I was on deadline, you know, covering, you know, high school football games on Friday nights for, you know, the San Ramon Valley times and the San Mateo times and the Mercury news and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. It wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Sometimes I would like to just be able to go out and say whatever the hell I want to say, but you know, it's uh, as far as jobs go uh, and I've worked for, different corporations in my life uh, could be a lot worse than uh, writing about sports and having uh, multiple editors. And actually the editors at the athletic, every, every story gets edited by two people minimum. So that actually helps quite a bit because it's really difficult. I learned to edit your own stuff. I mean, I, I edited a bunch of contributing writers at Barry sports guy and I got, I thought good at editing their stuff. But my own stuff, I was terrible at it, you know, I mean, because you just you read your own stuff and you just kind of gloss over it. You think, oh, this is great, you know, genius or or you just miss a mistake or you don't realize that you're being too repetitive with what you're writing. You wrote the same word in the same paragraph two or three times, that kind of stuff. You don't pick up until either someone else reads it or you wait like a day and then edit it. But a lot of times in the blog world, you're just writing and then posting immediately. So 
yeah, it's it's actually been very positive. Yeah, your your media columns are great. They're one of my favorite pieces on the entire website. Uh, and I'm someone that's so fascinated by media transactions for some odd reason. You know, this person joins a different publication. You know, Mike Kruko is yeah. doing less road games. How did you kind of get into that fascination yourself? Because I think it's really under like people want to know that Greg Papa hopped over to KMBR and stuff like that. So how did you kind of get into covering media? When with Barry, a sports guy, I, I always listened to a lot of KMBR. This is before 95.7 even started. And I would just write, you know, stuff about what Gary would say or what Ralph and Tom would say or annoying commercials that they play constantly and that kind of stuff. Just, you know, just different posts and stuff. And, and I noticed that those are getting a lot of traction. And then from there, I started getting some people telling me about inside stuff about what was going on from there. I would hear certain things and, and report on them. And I realized that people were pretty darn interested. And then I was able to break the story that Ralph Barbieri uh, was fired. I mean, I heard about it right after he was uh, right after he was let out the door. So he uh, and then that broke my site. My server couldn't handle it. The traffic was too high. And so from there, it's just always been a regular thing of, you know, uh, all right, I'm going to report on this stuff as a regular thing because it's a niche that not everyone is doing. You know, I went to, you know, especially, you know, the teams that credentialed me were the first, it was the Warriors then it was the Giants, and then it was the 49ers who credentialed me when I was doing when I was an independent uh, sports writer. And, but I mean, you know, I could get some stuff that I could write in a way that was unique, and I could cover different angles, and I could maybe get to talk to different players in the locker rooms and clubhouse that you know others weren't talking to. But for the most part, you're kind of covering the same thing as a bunch of other people. And in this case, there's really no legit media person somebody on the media beat who people actually respect uh who's doing it around here i mean there is somebody who writes about it but he's wrong all the time and, and lies all the time we don't need to mention him by name uh Bruce Lieberman. um and so uh it's so it's kind of a fun little niche to be in and there's people who do it nationally like we have richard deitch uh on our uh for our company andrew marchand does it for the the new york post then you also have, you know, awful announcing. I think Brian Curtis does a really nice job with the ringer on a lot of his media chairs and he's got a great podcast too, the press box, but uh, there's not a lot of us who cover it. So it's kind of a good place to be because sports media is a really competitive place. So if you can, I mean, I, I do think of myself as more than a media columnist and I do, you know, I got sports takes like, like everybody, but it is an interesting area and, I know that at least in terms of media, that's who that's what they read of what I write more than anything else. When I go to the press boxes, I was just at the A's game uh, for opening night. And, you know, a, a friend of mine in there is like, oh, man, what are you going to be writing about for this week's media call? Uh, you know, that's what they all read because they all want to read about themselves, too, and their business. So it, it's so it's it's been fun that way. But that's how I got into it really was. I started having inside sources giving me information when I was a Barry sports guy. And I was like, well, I guess this is kind of what I'm doing now. So have you ever had that? That leads me into this question. Have you ever had an instance where like one of the network heads or media personalities comes up to you after you write a column and 
goes, dude, what the heck was that? Like, <laughs> what did you just write about me or something like that? Or what did you just write about my station? Has there any ever been like an incident where, I mean, I don't, I don't want you to go too in detail about it. A ton, um, but, a ton. Yeah. A ton. yeah. Uh, media people uh, by and large are, don't have the thickest skin. So some, some do, but a lot do not. So yes. Uh, I mean, just recently KBR 95.7, the ratings thing, you know, I'm getting ra- different ratings numbers from both stations. They're, they're all both, pl- I end up pissing off both sides with what was written because they both were upset about, you know, what numbers I used, how they were portrayed. Uh, I've had uh, run-ins with multiple sports talk hosts. Uh, most of them, I get along well with 98% of other media people in the area. Uh, most of them, you know, if I, so it's not like I go into a press box with back in the day when we used to do that all the time. Uh, it's starting to come around more and more now, I guess, pretty soon here. But, uh, it, but back in normal times, I didn't have to be like, oh, you know, who's mad at me? There was a, there's a couple guys who still aren't huge fans of me, but even them, they don't bother, they don't bug me too much. But in terms of stuff uh, where I end up hearing about it later, absolutely. And a lot of times they don't even go to me; they go above me and complain to my editors, even the CEO of the company. Uh, before I even got hired, uh, there was uh, an NBC executive who's no longer there who complained to our founders. Uh, when I was a freelancer about something that I wrote, which was a legit report that was totally true. So, but he was all upset about it. And so it, and my, and the founders are like, okay, well, we're not going to change it. You know, we back our guy kind of deal, but yes, this kind of stuff happens all the time. People definitely get upset. That happens too with sports. I mean, you'll get pushback from PR teams about certain things. Uh, but yeah, with the media, it's same thing. So if Lee Hammer would walk into the press box, you wouldn't go, oh, God, <laughs> here he comes. No, no. Uh, I, he actually had me. He invited me to his office one time uh, years ago to when he was still the program director at KMBR. Uh, and to discuss, and, but pretty much it was to like let me know that KMBR was just dominating in the ratings and, you know, and anything you hear to the contrary is false. But I don't think he was a big fan of me, which is fine. You know, I mean, when you're in the media, if your goal is to be friends with the people you're covering, then you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. That's the first thing they teach us in journalism school. When we get into the beat section is, you know, you can never friend, you can never get too close to your sources. So that's, uh, that's such a big tip. Uh, So yeah, you, you mentioned you do put the data in terms of ratings in your stories and your media columns when you're projecting for the future, do you take into account, you know, well, the giant season just started, KMBR is going to boom, or the Warriors have a nice three, four game run, 95 seven is going to boom, or is it, or is it deeper than that? Well, I don't really project. I just look at what's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I'll throw out ideas about what I think might occur. Like I did you know, recently. So, you know, with the Giants starting back up, I think, you know, their numbers for, uh, the numbers for March probably won't be much higher, but the numbers for April might see a boost. And if the Warriors stay relevant, um, and that hasn't happened, uh, well, I guess they're still relevant, but they, uh, they've they had some struggles lately. But it, that, that helps 95-70 to an extent, not as directly as the Giants help 
can be art. But yeah, you, you, you look at all that kind of stuff. It, I think it's more when you look back on say, oh, look at these numbers, what happened here? And they start thinking, oh yeah, well, the, the Giants, like back in last summer when the Giants started playing well, the, you know, you saw some really good numbers, especially in the evenings to a certain extent, but Murph and Max numbers just started skyrocketing. Uh, I, I think it helped that they got rid of Bonnie Jill Athlin because she was never a fit. And I don't think any of the hosts are really that comfortable when she was there. And they, they've added a lot more Adam Copeland. And I think that that show sort of flows more naturally now. But, you know, once the Giants stopped playing, Murph and Max still had an advantage in the mornings, a sizable one, but they weren't absolutely just killing it in the ratings like they were when the Giants were, you know, playing a few months earlier. So yeah, a lot of that gets taken into account, but I don't really worry too much about projecting. I'll, I'll let the station managers and uh, program directors worry about that. That's, I, I don't, I don't care who wins the ratings, but that's the thing that's funny is, you know, I've had people from KMBR say I'm pro 95.7. I've had pr- people from 95.7 say I'm, I'm like a shield for KMBR. I couldn't care less about what station wins these. I don't, I don't even get to go on the stations anymore. I used to be a guest on, you know, the, on their shows. And then, uh, you know, my editor, Tim Calcomi told me since I'm covering media, I can't do it anymore. So I'm not even on any of the shows. Obviously I don't get paid by either station. So I just want it to be competitive because that's more interesting for me selfishly. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite episodes of this show was Joe Shasky who came on and, and did a great show and he's great. He's another Reardon guy. So uh, we went Absolutely. to the same school. So he's great. It was a great show. And um, yeah, but yeah, it was, that was the great. last show I was allowed to be on. I was on his show and KMBR's program director, uh, Jeremiah Crow went to Tim and was like, well, what's he doing on, you know, 95, seven, it's obvious that he's in, you know, their pocket or whatever. And, and the truth was just, you know, Joe is a friend of mine. And he asked if I would come on on, on a Saturday morning, no less. Like I was going to my day job uh, and uh, I was on my, you know, so I parked in the parking lot and talked to him for 10 minutes about like the warriors and the Niners or whatever. Didn't even think anything of it. And then from there, no more, no more appearances, Berman. I was like, okay. Yeah, he's great though. He's he's got a ton of energy. Oh, yeah. Um and he started from scratch, you know. He was never, you know, not a not a he didn't started as a caller. Yes. <laughs> didn't go to school for any of it. He did it the most organic possible way, uh, and most unlikely way, but he's there now. So and he's doing a good job with that new morning show they have. Um, but podcasting is the newest trend. I guess it's been around for a little bit, but I mean now every other week somebody's starting one and everybody has one. Um, what, what's kind of your take on the amount of them and, and kind of how they're evolving through the industry? Hmm. There's a, there's a lot there. Um, I wrote about it, uh, several months ago about some of the local podcasts and, and how they're dealing with the pandemic, especially, uh, but or was it really pandemic related? Not to look back and see what I was writing. It was, it, it was about the local podcasts and sort of their business models. Um, for a while, it looked like it was just, it was a lot like blogs back in the late 2000s where it kind of seemed like if you started one and it was good, you're going to end up getting bought for like a million dollars by some bigger company at some point, you know, and that that was happening to some people. Um, And uh, NBC sports Bay area actually approached me and they wanted to make me an affiliate of theirs, but it never happened. And I don't think they ever really wanted to put forth the money it would have taken for me to, you know, give up all 
you know, my whole deal to them. But podcasts kind of the same way. It seemed like there was unlimited growth potential. Everyone's podcasting. Advertisers love podcasts because you could just dip right in, give like a personalized ad and the person's sort of captive audience. And then the pandemic hit and a lot of these podcasting advertisers stopped spending money on marketing because no one was buying their products. It was, uh, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, mattress companies and, you know, I mean, I think other than meal kit delivery services, I don't think many things are doing that well at the beginning stages of the pandemic that advertise on podcasts. So then all of a sudden it kind of shrunk back a little bit in terms of, you know, it's a, it's a great medium. It's, it's, I think what a lot of, uh, especially younger people are going towards because the commercials aren't as frequent, there aren't as many of them. And you can really specialize on topics as opposed to listen to, you know, two guys or three guys talk about a bunch of stuff that you don't care about. You know, you can go, you know, find your Giants podcast, you can go find your Sharks podcast, whatever. The, the, the only thing that it doesn't have is the live element, which I think some people are kind of trying to get around by doing stuff like locker room and live shows and then maybe posting those afterwards. But if you, you have the option to listen to it live, if you want to, that's the only thing that terrestrial radio I think has going for it that uh, other than the rights to, you know, to be flagship stations for some of these teams is that sort of element of if something breaks on, you know, it's a huge transaction. Okay. The, the Niners has drafted, uh, Mac Jones and everyone's, you know, losing, losing their mind. The, uh, you know, you could have an immediate reaction on radio as opposed to podcasts where you got to record it, you got to edit it. Then you got to post it. You got to wait for Apple to put it on their deal. All, all that kind of stuff, you know, Spotify. So there's, there's kind of pitfalls to it that, uh, and, and also that there is, there are, it seems so many, I mean, there's a lot of really good ones. So how much time do people really have? Also, I think with the lack of commuting that people are doing, I, I, I think that's hurt sports talk radio and podcasts because you don't have people who are loading up podcasts and going on BART for an hour as much as you did, you know, over a year ago or sitting in their cars for, you know, an hour and a half, you know, across the Bay Bridge listening to 95.7 or KNBR. So everything's kind of changed, but I think podcasts are, are definitely not going away. It's it's a the barrier to entry is very low, and a lot of people are really good. But I think that when you have so many sort of like blogs, all these blogs popped up, and then people were like, "Man, this is a lot of work for not very much money." And they started kind of falling us to the side, and I think you'll see a lot of that with podcasts too, where the cream rises to the top, and then people, uh, unless you really love it, aren't going to stick with it for a super long amount of time. Yeah, hundred percent, and. People could listen to 10 different Giants podcasts, 10 different 49ers podcasts, yep. 10 different Warriors podcasts. But Steve Berman is coming is on RizzoCast. So that's where you could catch Steve Berman. Oh, yeah. uh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't 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 go looking for like a check or anything because I don't make anything from this. Anyways, uh, every year oh, I wasn't I, I wasn't man. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every year we ask ourselves, um, you know, when Dave Fleming will be full-time at ESPN, when Dave Fleming will be full-time, he's held on to that Giants job. And, you know, I genuinely think that he really likes it. From your point of view, as somebody who has talked to him about this, what is kind of an explanation as to why he's held on for so long? 
Yeah, I don't think he's leaving, to be honest. I, I think that he likes the situation where he's a guy who really likes to be busy. He was telling me the thing that really drove him crazy at the beginning of the pandemic was when sports was shut down and there was nothing to do. And he ended up uh, driving with his family back east of Virginia to visit other family and hanging out. And that's when I talked to him for the first time during the pandemic. And But he was just twiddling his thumbs going crazy because he wanted stuff to do. And he likes his arrangement with ESPN where he's able to do a bunch of different sports and still do the daily work with the Giants. Now, he's going to miss a little bit of time, like the Masters. He's there with ESPN, so he's not going to be there for the home opener. And I asked him about that recently for a story on The Athletic, and he was uh, disappointed for sure that he's going to miss the home opener. But, you know, it's Augusta. So, yeah, he, he's, he's a big golfer, and I think he did a fantastic job at the PGA Harding Park. Uh, I think people were uh, – I don't know about surprised, but took notice of like, man, this guy sounds like he's been doing this for a long time. And this is his first bit of golf coverage. He's great on football. He's great on basketball. So he also does some ESPN baseball too, national games. So, I, but he, the giant situation is a great one too. I mean, it, it's a legacy team that really cares about the quality of the broadcast much more than I would say the majority of professional franchises they and they put their money where their mouth is crook and kipe and john and dave are well paid for what they do john is uh going to be doing it i bet he i, I think he's probably going to try to do it as as long as Vinny did but uh, for the dodgers but i think dave is going to be the guy who's the number one guy when he gets to that sort of age of you know because he's only you know i think probably like 45 right now so he, he could do this another you know, 30 to 40 years if he wants to. And I think that he probably will. I don't, I, I think he likes living in San Francisco. And if the, if ESPN came to him and was like, all right, we want you, we just want you all to ourselves. We want you on Monday night football. We want you on Sunday night baseball. We, and we're going to pay you X amount to do so. Then yeah, he probably would say, you know, I love the giants, but how do you, you know, give up the chance to be the next Al Michaels, you know, or Jim Nance, but I don't know. I don't, I don't see that happening. I think that he, he is very, very happy where he is. And I think also it helps that he likes his coworkers so much. I mean, him and John are close, you know, hanging out with Kruk and Kipe on a daily basis. That doesn't suck. So I, I think they have a, a fun time together. And I think the giants also, Show, you know, show appreciation in many ways for what they do and what they bring to the fans. I know you wrote about this. I'm trying to figure out which which of the four it was, but you hung out with one of them for the first few innings of a game. Is that right? I know you wrote about it. Who? It, it was John. It was great. Uh, I, I was I actually just wanted to interview him, you know, just in general. So I, I came up there and he asked me to come up before the game and I kind of saw him prepare He's like, hey, you want to sit down and just hang out? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I just sat there with the headset on. And, uh, you know, Darren Chan was behind me on the controls, a uh, guy who engineers everything for KMBR. And John Miller was alone that night. I don't know where Dave was. I don't remember. I don't know if he's just off or he, he's, he's, I think it might have been a Friday night where he was doing something with uh, ESPN college football or something. But yeah, just sitting there next to, John and watching him call the game. It was a surreal type of deal because yeah, that sound coming over your headphones is the exact same sound that I've been hearing over my headphones for decades. 
but then I look over and dude's right next to me in a giant's hat, you know, and, you know, telling his stories and looking through his notes. And so, yeah, it was great. I have one, one of the best things about being the media columnist for the athletic is that it definitely gives you some access that I wouldn't have had before to a certain extent so that I've actually been able to kind of get to know all these guys and, and they're all, you know, really cool guys in their own ways. And, and that goes for uh, Ken Korak as well, who's one of the nicest guys in media and, and uh, underrated and fantastic baseball announcer. I mean, he's got pipes that are just ridiculous. And, you know, so a lot of these guys uh, are, you know, the, the Bay Area have, we are lucky with the broadcasting overall. I mean, there's a couple of exceptions maybe, or one I can think of, but uh, for the most part, we have some really outstanding broadcasters and it was fun to hang out with John and, and, and catch just a, a few innings. I, I almost felt guilty. I was like, okay, well, it's been like three innings. Now. Hey, John, I'm, I guess I should probably go, you know, and I probably should, I probably just should have not even thought about that and been shy. just stayed the whole nine if, and, and waited until they kicked me out. That's awesome. That's a great story. And I'm sure a lot of people think about, you know, probably dream of having a situation like that. And you're, you write about it and there you are with a firsthand experience of it. And me or John, me and John are, are kind of neighbors, I guess he lives in Moss beach and I'm in Pacifica just to the, uh, Oh, beautiful. Just, yeah. So I'm kind of right next to him. I was just over there down that way, uh, yesterday. So, uh, pretty awesome. So Steve, I appreciate you taking the time and it was, it was awesome to have you. Awesome to talk to you, of course. And I know it's been uh, hard to schedule people here and I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, anytime. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, anytime you want to have me back on, if you do, then uh, I know you told me it was Carrie Crowley was on and that's a tough act to follow. Uh, so hopefully I did okay, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on the Rizzo cast. Yeah, don't tell Carrie this, but you probably outdid him. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I'm. Hold on, hold on a second. Uh oh. Right now. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Go for no, it. No, no, no. Carrie's my guy, and I'm sure that he was great too. You were there at that trivia night that we held the Giants trivia. I was on his team. Oh, oh, you were on his team. I, I was on yeah, his I, team. I, I can't remember who was on all the teams, but I remember that we didn't win because we didn't have Carrie and uh, the. Because your team won, right? Or was I, it? Or was I it? Forget. Or maybe it was Copeland's team that won. Uh, either way, there was the lightning round where Thomas Todd, the trivia host, you know, he had like lists all these different totally obscure giants in the category. It was giants that have hit 10 home runs in a season or have gotten oh, 10 wins right. in a season. 10 wins in a season. Okay. And then, so, and, and, you know, every team put out one person. And the last person to either state a, to state a correct answer that hasn't been repeated is the champion. So Carrie won. And then, like, hey, congratulations, Carrie. You know, and Thomas is like, all right, we're going to move on to blah, blah. And Carrie's like, no, keep going. And so then Thomas is like, okay. And so Carrie just like went, I don't know how many more pitches it was. It was like 10 or 15. He just kept going, bam, bam, you know, Trevor Wilson. Blah, like, and, and, and all of us are just like, Dude, you are an encyclopedia. So I can see why he's gotten to where he's gotten at his age. He's a he's a bright young star and in, in this uh, sports media scene for sure. He's doing good stuff too in terms of his, uh, his kind of school for online uh, training for okay. broadcasters, which I wrote about. So yeah, uh, thank you for saying that. I, I surpassed him, but I, I think you're just being, uh, you know, uh, you're 
you just kind of uh, flattering me for no, for no reason and it's not true yeah you're probably <laughs> you're probably right yeah no but i i took Terry's, <laughs> i took i took terry's future in sports writing it was a lot of fun and learned a lot steve I, uh, you guys could follow steve on twitter uh or follow the bay area sports guy uh Follow him so you could figure out that he is not two different people, as I thought before. <laughs> is at and I'm his... not LOL KMBR either. A lot <laughs> oh, of people do you get that a lot? Uh huh. A lot of people over the years have gone, "Oh, well, you guys are the same person. Why are you guys tweeting each other?" No, I've actually met the person who is LOL KMBR. He's very anonymous, but it's not me. <laughs> yeah, don't ruin it because that is a that's a. It's funny because there's like three different there's like two different accounts now, and one of them is obnoxious and one of them's not. So yes, um... <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, the one who uh, who copied LOL KMBR's whole steez. Yeah, LOL KMBR hosts. He's he's got a different sort of. Uh, tact for what he does but no i i am not either one of those guys yeah so lol can be our host is bound to unfollow the both of us after that all right uh it's at ba sports guy uh so follow him on twitter keep up with this stuff on the athletic uh his media um columns are great his other stuff is great read it uh and follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at rizzocast you can find us on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher google podcast if i'm missing one it's on it it's on one of the ones I'm missing, but we're on a lot of them. Uh, but go check it out. Subscribe. Do all the things. Thumbs up. Yep. All of it. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next time.